The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. The Ephesians chapter number 3, verse number 21, our verse over these last two services now. The Bible says, Out of him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now, when we look at this verse last week, we used the illustration of a door, two sides of that door, and this verse really being the hinges. The first side of that door is the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And we saw there in those three chapters the riches of Christ. We saw the doctrine. We saw the wealth. We saw the blessing. And then the last three chapters that we're about to get into, we're going to find our responsibility. See, yes, I'm rich in Jesus Christ, but now what? What's my responsibility? Yes, he lays out the doctrine that I need to understand, but what's my duty as a child of God? I have a great wealth, according to the first three chapters, but uh, what ought my walk to be? And then we saw the blessings, both in uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and now the focus is on our behavior. And so there is a balancing of these two sides of the door, and the balance is the hinge, which is the focus on the glory of God. We want to be to the praise of His glory, Ephesians 1.12, because of all that He's done for us. But now... I want to live for His glory in a practical way. And that's what we're going to be tackling and packaging here this morning. Let's go ahead and bow in prayer, and we'll get right into uh, our message today. Father, I thank you for each one that's here. Thank you for this glorious, wonderful, lofty theme of God's glory. And I pray today that we would have a better understanding of how in a practical way we can live to the praise of your glory. Father, I pray that each one of us here that know you as our Savior, that today we would walk out of this place with a renewed heart, a renewed desire, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, to do all to the glory of God. I ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. All right, a real quick review of this uh, wonderful verse. Last Sunday morning and Sunday night, we focused, first of all, on the person that's mentioned in verse number 21, unto him. The person is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And this person is the one that ought to receive all praise, all glory, all honor. You know, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. So should his church. The Bible declares in this verse that there ought to be glory in the church. He gets it in nature. He gets it uh, as uh, we look out at his handiwork. And yet, does he receive it from the church? Well, we saw that the focus ought to be Jesus Christ receiving all the glory. Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor, and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Oh, that all of us would have that heart's desire. Not only did we see the person in that first phrase unto him, 
But we also saw the priority, and that was be glory. Listen, the the theme of the glory of God, it flows through the Old Testament. It it flows into the New Testament. Uh, it, It is just on the heart and mind of the early church, and it ought to be on our heart and mind every single day. It ought to be our prayer when we get up in the morning. God, can I live today for your glory? God, in what way can I be to the praise of your glory? Lord, today, in my life, in my behavior, in my speech, in, in my, in my uh, countenance, the very way that I look, can it be to the praise of your glory? Well, we find here the priority ought to be lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ and praising him. Ephesians 1, would you go back just a, a page in your Bible Notice this in this great doxology of praise. What, what, what is Paul wanting the church to praise concerning God the Father? Verse number 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. We ought to be praising here to the glory of God. Verse number 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory. Everything that I do ought to come back to praising God's glory. Verse number 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Everything that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit does, we ought to be praising for His glory. The person, the priority, the people, the power. How do we do this? You say, Pastor, how can I... uh, live to the praise of his glory how can i in a practical way well number one you can't do it in your own power i can't do it in my power verse number 20 really highlights that in chapter number three now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us listen if i'm going to be to the praise of his glory it's not going to be through self-effort it's going to be through the power of god working in and through me And that's what Ephesians is all about, that we would understand that the Holy Spirit of God is wanting to work through all of us. Back in verse 7 of this chapter, we saw, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. It all comes back to His power. Tomorrow you can live to the praise of His glory because God gives us the power to do so. We can live every day to the praise of His glory because the power that's available to us through the wonderful Holy Spirit of God. And so not only as a people, as His church, ought we to be giving Him glory, but the power source is God. The perpetuity, it's a big word there in verse number 21, but it tells us how long we ought to be doing it throughout all ages. Jania is the word there. We get our word generations. Every church, every believer for all generations ought to be consumed with the reality that we ought to be to the praise of His glory. In this church, the Lord Jesus Christ, as He comes, because the Bible says where two or three are gathered, He's here. What He ought to be receiving is glory in this service this morning. By the way, when you're saying... Did you sing with all your heart to your Savior? When you gave, did you give with a heart?
to glorify God and His work. As you look for the needs of others and you uh, shake someone's hand and you say, how you doing? Are you wanting to encourage another believer for His glory? Oh, the, the, the wonder here of the throughout all ages, God receiving glory in His church. And then we saw the permanence World without end. That phrase is just the concept of forever. Not just here and now, but for all eternity, the church is going to be ringing out the praises to his glory. And then the very last word, we can't forget the last word in the verse. This is our hinge. We focused on this last Sunday night and spent the whole evening on it. And you might want to go back and listen to that message. But we saw a personal decision was necessary. Listen, that little word amen is just not a good way to stop your prayer, you know. It's like, okay, uh, I'm ready to stop, and so I'm going to say amen, and that means it's over. But that's not what the word amen means. The word amen is uh, found in the Scripture. If it's before a phrase, it simply means what's coming up is true. And usually it's repeated twice. We have truly, truly in the Bible, or verily, verily in the Bible. You know what that is? That's amen, amen. And what it's saying, it's saying that what's about to come is absolutely true. So when Jesus was talking about being born again in John 3, 3, verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. What what he was saying, he was saying, amen, amen. He was saying, this is absolute truth. You must be born again. And when it's found at the end of a phrase, it brings you and I into the truth. Because it's our personal confession that this is true. And that we believe it to be true. Amen. So let it be. Or let it be fulfilled in my life. Now we found that in in, in Jesus Christ teaching here on the Lord's Prayer, and thine be the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What? Amen. And the amen brings it home. The amen makes it personal. The amen says, I agree. Do you agree that we ought to be to the praise of his glory? Do you agree that Jesus needs glory in the church? Well, then you're going to say amen to that. Because that is your personal profession. Listen, pastor likes to hear amens. Because it's telling me that what's going on in your heart is personally you're digesting that truth. And personally you're declaring verbally, yes, that's true in my life. Now, I can't say amen for everybody, but I can say amen for what's going on in my heart. Again, in the Bible, if it's in the front of a phrase, it just means what's coming up is true. If it's at the end, it ought to be a personal declaration on my part that, yes, that is true. God, so let it be. So let it be. So now we go into our message notes here this morning and what we're wanting to do at this point is we're wanting to say well how can we in a very practical way on a day-by-day basis be living to the praise of his glory or seek to glorify him we already learned last week that you can't give God more glory than he already has 
Intrinsically, the Bible tells us he is the God of glory. That's who he is. How do you describe the glory of God? Impossible humanly to describe it. Because it encompasses everything that God is. And so when we think of the glory of God, and we think of how can I live to the praise of his glory, it's not like I'm adding glory to God. What I'm doing is I'm declaring his glory. And by the way, that's what God instructs his people to do. He says, declare his glory among the heathen. You know, the unsaved world ought to be hearing the declaration of the glory of God from the lips of of believers. Because that's what God's heart is, that he would be glorified. That we would be praising his glory. So, how do we do that? All right, number one, we do it by demonstrating faith. Number one, if you got your notes, one through ten, we're going to just give you uh, a verse and we're going to give you the truth when we're strong in faith. Romans chapter number 4 is our verse for this truth. Verse number 20, it's about Abraham. And again, Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham believed God for some impossible situations. First of all, God told him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to a place that he had no idea where he's going to go. He also made a promise that I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to, through that heir, uh, that son will have nations that will come out of him. This was the promise. And yet, as Abraham got older, there were no children on the horizon. But he staggered not at the promises of God. How about there where he was commanded by God in uh, Genesis 22, verse 1, Take Isaac thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. And he said, I want you to go up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice his life for me. And by faith he went, realizing that God had the power to raise him up from the dead. So what does this verse teach us? Look at it. It's up on your screen. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. What's the last phrase? Giving glory to God. Every time our church takes a step of faith, what we're doing is we're saying God's big. We're going to glorify God. We believe God. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above. And when God sees Great faith, God gets glory. You know what doubt says? Doubt says God's impotent. Remember the children of Israel when they came there to Kadesh Barnea and God said, I I want you to take the land and he sent 12 spies and remember the spies came back. How many came back with a good report? Only two. And the other 10 so discouraged the nation that they refused to go any further. Can I tell you something? God did not get any glory because they did not believe God. It was the evil heart of unbelief that Hebrews talks about. They they did not go forward by faith. They just stayed. And because of that, they wandered in that wilderness 40 years until their carcasses fell in the wilderness, the Bible says. Why? Because God is glorified by strong faith. Listen, do you believe God? Do you believe God for your family? Do you believe God's promises when you read them in the Word of God? Do you believe that what God says, God can do? 
That gives God glory. God is glorified. And that is an element in our personal walk that we can ask God to strengthen for His glory. Number two, if you're writing these down, when the church gives thanks. When the church gives thanks. So not only when we're strong in faith, but when the church gives thanks. When the church has a thankful heart and thankful attitude. Our verse is in Luke chapter number 17. Again, I'll have these verses on the screen so you can see them yourself. And the Bible tells us in the story he had just healed ten lepers. An incurable disease that, I mean, you could go poor just trying to come up with the remedy of the day. And there you were cast off into a, a leper colony just to die alone, separated from family, loved ones, husband, wife, children, grandchildren. And these ten lepers came to the Lord Jesus Christ one day and he healed each and every one of them. And one of them came back with a heart filled with gratitude and thanks. And here's what the Bible says, and Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. One came back to give glory to God. How? By offering thanks. Folks, we know what it is when we're trying to train little children, don't we? You give them a snack, and what do you want to hear? <laughs> Thank you. All right? You want them to grow up to be polite. Uh, you're desiring here to help these little children here understand the attitude of gratitude. And yet, I wonder how many times God says, Hey, don't you just realize that was all me? Don't you just realize that I'm the one that kept you out of that accident as you swerved your car and were able to maintain it and uh, thankfully were able to avoid a serious accident or God uh, maybe gives you a good health uh, update and, and maybe the, the previous ones weren't so, so fine and, uh, and, and, and God is trying to say, you know, I did that. Are we thanking him? That's how he gets glory. Listen, let's not be ungrateful for the things that God does in our life. Let's, each and every one of us, have that attitude of gratitude every single day. Why? Because God's going to get a lot of glory when we start praising Him, when we start thanking Him. So through faith, through a thankful heart or, or giving thanks, let's go on. Number three, when the church gives praise. We already read the three verses in Ephesians 1 that we should be to the praise of His glory. The Old Testament says it this way, Psalm 55, 23, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. It goes hand in hand with being thankful. See, a, a thankfulness is a heart attitude. But praise, that, that, that's from the lips. That's, that's vocalizing here the gratitude of the heart. And God says, it glorifies me when you do that. I've got to confess, there are times when I gripe more than I praise. <laughs> I complain more than I thank. And, and yet, the, the complaining is not what glorifies God. And the griping is not what glorifies God. 
What glorifies God is the attitude of gratitude, the praise, the joy, the thanks. Because I'm bringing God into my, my, my life. God is now at, at the forefront of what's going on with big things and little things. You ever come upon a, an event that you want to go to and there's just no parking stalls and you're driving around for a while and finally you think, you know, maybe I should pray. And, uh, and so you just whisper up a quick prayer, just, Lord, would you help me find a parking spot? And lo and behold, you turn the corner and there's one sitting there. Listen, just praise him for that. Glorify him for that. Big things, little things, it doesn't matter. It's an opportunity to bring God into the everyday working of our lives where we are living to the praise of his glory. Oh, that we ought to be praising him because when you offer praise, God gets glory in it. All right, number four. Write this one down. When our prayers are answered. When our prayers are answered. Well, first of all, you know, step one is to pray. That's the first thing. But then when God answers that prayer, what do you do? I mean, what are, we to, what are we supposed to do? Well, let's look at John 14, verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Listen, when God answers prayer... God gets glory because I prayed it in whose name or whose authority. By the way, it's not just another way to end your prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what you're saying? You're saying based on Jesus and his uh, um, standing as your son at the right hand, as my mediator, based on Jesus Christ and and how he conquered sin and death and hell and he went to the cross and he shed his precious blood so that I might be redeemed. It's in Jesus' name I'm asking it. I'm not asking it in Mark's name. I'm not asking it in my wife's name or my kid's name. I'm coming to the Father and the only name that really means anything and it's the name of Jesus. And so based on that authority, because I'm asking in Jesus' name, God the Father says, I'm going to answer that. And not only does he answer that, but the Scripture now tells us that he gets glory because of it. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Listen, God gets glory when he answers our prayer. Number five. And again, how do you get glory in the church? When our people are clean. You say, Pastor, what are we talking about now? I'm talking about being unspotted in this world. I'm talking about moral habits and practices. The Bible deals with it. By the way, this uh, age has not come up and and hit God uh, out of nowhere. The the same... um, sensuality that dominates the world today has has dominated the world all the way back uh, in time. Nothing is new under the sun. And yet, the Word of God tells us for the child of God, there ought to be a different attitude we have concerning this body that God has purchased. And I want you to see these verses because uh, every young person here, you, you really need to memorize these. And for all of us, it's a great reminder. But let's go here. I want you to see from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You know, in the Old Testament, the, whole, the, the Holy Spirit of God would descend on the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. or He would descend on the temple like uh, at uh, uh, the dedication of Solomon's temple. But today the Holy Spirit lives in every child of God that's born again. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence. And your body is the temple. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Listen, you're saved now. You don't belong to you anymore. You've been bought with a price. God paid His Son's precious blood to redeem you. If you're His child, You're going to spend eternity with Him. And this life is not all about us. It's all about Him. And so every one of us ought to recognize that truth that our body is not our own. We're bought with a price. So what do I do with my body? Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, the temple was a clean place. It was a holy place. It was a place that could not endure defiling. And every one of us need to look at our bodies as just that. And I glorify God when I say no to sensuality and yes to holiness and purity. God gets glory in that. You say, well, pastor, you don't understand you know, how young people live today. I sure do. Listen, without Jesus Christ, uh, mankind is, is led by their flesh. They, they just do what feels good. That's, that's what drives them. And yet when we are transformed by the power of God, when Jesus Christ takes up residence, he makes us a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And by the way, he was saying that to one of uh, the churches that happened to be in one of the most wicked cities during Bible time, the city of Corinth. They had, they had a temple, their church in Corinth, where they had on, on duty a thousand prostitutes every day that would be there just to service here the community as they would come and go for their pagan worship. So when Paul's talking to this church at Corinth, he's talking to a a group of believers that live in a pagan, wicked society where, where it was acceptable to be uh, sensual and godless. And yet when they got saved, what Paul wrote to that church, he said, listen, you're a new creature now in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Old things, they're passed away. Behold, all things are new. Why? Because now you have the Holy Spirit of God taking up residency. And you have now a power within you that you didn't have before. You say, Pastor, I just couldn't, I can't say no. That's because you need God. You need the Holy Spirit. And he can transform the desires and the attitudes and the actions of our lives. He can make us brand new. That's how we bring glory to God. Number six. Here's another way that we bring glory to God. When God's church is shining in this world. This is from Matthew chapter number 5. The scripture says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father 
which is in heaven. You know, you don't get saved by doing good works. But when you're saved, Ephesians 2.10 says that those good works will follow our life. Now that I'm a new creature, uh, it's not what I'm doing to go to heaven. I can't do anything. Jesus has done it all. All I can do is recognize my sinful condition and receive God's wonderful gift, eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's done it all. I can't do anything. But when I'm born again, God gives us opportunities here to let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works. To what end? God's glory. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, when God prompts you to do a good work, I want you to know that God gets glory for that. When God prompts your heart to stop and, and, and help someone or encourage someone, maybe give something to someone, uh, God gets glory. And we needed God's discernment in that, but God gets glory when we shine brightly. Number seven, when God's church is fruitful, God gets glory. When we produce Fruit. Now, there's fruit that's mentioned that's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. All of these, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. And when I bear that fruit through the Spirit's power, God gets glory. But there's also the fruit of souls that come to know Jesus Christ through our witness, through our testimony. And so the verse we're looking at here is John 15, verse 6. Here it is, my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciple. When we just are filled with the Spirit of God and God's love is flowing through us, joy, His peace, His long-suffering, His gentleness... By the way, what was going on in Virginia here this past week is not Bible Christianity on either end. That's godless. That's antichrist. There's nothing about uh, their positions that glorifies God. Listen, uh, God loves and died for everyone. And any false pseudo-Christianity that discriminates against anyone on this planet is not of God. Racism is not of God. God made the races. How absurd. I mean, how ridiculous to think that somehow God has favored one color of his colors. (laughs) And they're all wonderful because God made all of us uniquely. And and we ought to be thanking God for that kind of diversity, not thinking somehow that my color is better than everyone else's color. Can I tell you something? The Word of God doesn't teach that. Matter of fact, my Bible happens to be open. This is wonderful. Galatians 3, I was about to find it. It's right here. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? The Bible goes on and says, And if ye be in Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
Listen, my background doesn't matter when it comes to God. What matters is my relationship to Jesus Christ alone. And it doesn't matter what nationality I am, what ethnic background I am. God loves us all. He died for all of us. And God's desiring for us to see that we all can bring fruit for his glory because it glorifies the Father. Number eight, here's another way that we can bring glory through the church, and that is through this thought of unity and the church as a whole having that unified heart. We've been in John 15 already. Let's look at these verses in John 15. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. i got to check something out. I think I gave you the wrong reference there. Is that Romans? Yes, it is. Forget John. That's, that's Romans 15. But would you look at verse 6? That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. Have you ever been in a church where it seemed like that was the last thing that was going on in the congregation? <laughs> a unified heart and spirit. Where it seemed like there's a lot of voices. And they were in contrast one with another. And you had this faction angry with that faction, and this group over here uh, uh, angry with the, the group on the other side of the church, and this family up in arms with another family. Can I tell you, that doesn't bring glory to God. That grieves the heart of God. You know, the, if we understand that we are a family, that this body here that God's brought together in this place, that we can be to His glory when we have that like-mindedness one toward another. By the way, that's just a reference to Jesus' mind. Philippians 2, you can read it. But that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would have that wonderful spirit of unity. How pleasant it is for God's people to dwell together in unity. What a wonderful thing it is. What refreshment it is. I grew up in a church where we didn't always have that. And, and as a boy, I saw things that no child should ever see in a church service. And they always happened to happen around these business meetings. And whenever there was a business meeting, it seemed like everybody had their own idea as far as what the business ought to be. And I, I kid you not, I once saw two men in the church having to be separated in the foyer from a fist fight. And I'm thinking, whoa, a little excitement for the Sunday, but whoa, as a kid, you're looking at it saying, what? You know, I, can, I, 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 I know that on the schoolyard growing up in, in, in elementary school, I could, I, I could see the little fights there, but not in church, all right? Why? Because it doesn't bring glory to God. Why ought we to have a unified heart and spirit? One reason, because God gets glory out of that. And when we're filled with the Spirit of God, can I tell you, we're going to be going God's way. That is what the Scripture declares. 
Number nine, would you write in the word suffers when the church suffers? We're going to really tackle this tonight from 1 Thessalonians and Peter, but I'm just going to read from Isaiah 24, verse number 15. Wherefore glorify ye the Lord in the fires, even the name of the Lord God of Israel in the isles of the sea. You know, it's a lot easier to glorify God when things are going wonderful. You got the raise. You're feeling better than you have in, in a long time. I mean, just your, your relationships are just, just wonderful. The Bible says that when the fires come, we ought to also be giving God glory. We ought to be giving God glory in the tough times. We ought to be giving God glory here during times of suffering. And, and Peter learned that. And as Peter writes uh, those letters, he says over and over again that suffering is for the glory of God. And we'll really look at that in depth tonight. But when the church suffers, not, not wrongfully, not, not because we did wrong, but because we're doing right, God gets glory for that. And then lastly, number 10, write this word, when we're filled with the fruits of righteousness. When we're filled with the fruits of righteousness. Philippians 1.11. Here's our verse. Philippians 1.11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Oh, that God's fruit would abide in our life. Remember, He's the vine, we're the branches. John 15, God wants us to bear fruit. And the fruit he wants us to bear is that fruit of righteousness. And as we bear this fruit, God the Father gets glory. The message this morning is simply glory in the church. By the way, the church is not a building. It's a collection of each and every one of us. And so we want to see glory in our life on an individual basis so that we can glorify God as a church. How many here this morning would agree that God needs to receive glory more than just one hour a week? Can I see your hand? All right. Absolutely. And if we would go out with an understanding of how we can bring God glory, we will, as a church, be glorifying God, whether it's at Costco or at the gas station or in our homes, in our places of employment, we can bring God glory. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.